0: Welcome to Just Thinking with hosts Daryl Harrison and Virgil Walker, bringing you week-to-week cultural apologetics, as well as social issues from a biblical worldview. This is Just Thinking. Let's think. We're back. It's another edition of the Just Thinking broadcast. I am Virgil Walker.
1: And I am Daryl Harrison. What you know, Omaha, what's going on? Are you having as lovely... A Lord's Day weather-wise as I am right now out here in Valencia, California. What's it looking like where you are, Omaha? in probably, Omaha.
0: Probably not, probably not as lovely as California. No, I I probably not that lovely. But I will say this, man. The weather is gorgeous here. We're enjoying, you know, probably 60 degrees, light okay. winds. And okay. so it's 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 really really nice we got some days coming up ahead that are going to be really really nice kind of get us out of that that weather funk that we were in with regard to to, to winter we still got and on the back end of, of folks coming out of the coming out of the flooding and all of that kind of stuff and right. uh, still still dealing with the with kind of the repercussions of that but man for the most part these the the, the folks in in Nebraska and Omaha area and specifically in the outside area, man they they're a bounce back people man and so it's it's oh, just yeah. been really it's been really good to see Folks, you know, stepping in to help and looking for opportunities to to, to help their neighbor uh, and and to reach out. So, but man, all in all, it's it's been good. It's been a great Lord's day.
1: Yeah, you know, speaking of Nebraska, I had a uh, recollection just now. To some years ago, I was watching a college football game, and I think Nebraska was playing somebody. And uh, when it came to the size of those linemen mm-hmm. uh, on the Nebraska uh team, I think it was an old lineman. One of the commentators said that this guy was so big that you can rest assured that those guys are corn fed and hand spanked. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I know Nebraska's all blue collar, man. I yes. know they work hard for everything they get yes. out there. Yes. But yeah, I just I when you when you mentioned that man that that uh, you know Nebraska folks they bounce back that you know they nothing holds them down. I just had a Recollection back to that college football game I was watching. I yeah. said, "These guys are corn fed and hand spanked." I was yeah, like, "Oh my gosh, that's hilarious!"
0: They are. That is hilarious, man. That is they. In fact, man, this past weekend, uh, it, a lot of the colleges had their had their spring games, and so again, yep. another for for the for the folks who live in Nebraska who who uh, who enjoyed Nebraska football. They had another sold out. Uh, event that was packed out there, eighty plus <clears throat> thousand fans in the stands for their spring game. Of course, as you know, and as as most of our listeners who've been with us for a long time know, though I live in Nebraska, I come, I hail from Oklahoma, mm-hmm. and You're so okay. my I'm a Okie okay man, and uh definitely as a as a person who who's from Oklahoma, root for the Sooners, and uh, uh that's that's kind of how I get down. So I just want to make that distinction. You mentioned, you know the. <laughs> You mentioned <laughs> Nebraska football and you know I'm, I ain't mad at that, you know, but uh but at the end of the day, I'm I'm all in four up for my sooner So that's what's up.
1: I got you, bro. Well, it won't be long, man. What about another 4 months before the season kicks off? That's and eternity, uh, Colorado, man. That's, man, that's I know eternity. it is. Yeah. It really, it really is, man. It really is. So I feel you, you know, just one more note on the weather, you know, I still keep tabs on what's going on back in my home state of Georgia, man. You know, so they had to deal with some tornadoes uh over the past couple of days. Um uh, in the Southeast. And, wow. uh, j- just, just want everyone to know back in Georgia that I'm remembering them every day, you know, and, uh, just a prime example, man, uh, you know, here in California, uh, you know, I was, I, I, I think very often here in California, cause the weather is so nice every day,
2: mm-hmm.
1: almost every day. You don't even have to plan, you, when you plan something to do outside, you don't have to check the weather is what I'm trying to say. Wow. You can just go ahead and say, yeah, we're going to do this or that because, you know, nine times out of 10, the weather's going to accommodate.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: but then back in Georgia, you know, you got thunderstorms and tornado uh, watch alerts and stuff like that. So everyone back in Georgia, stay safe. Mm-hmm. I remember you guys all the time. I'm always praying for all of you. So stay safe and take care out there back at my home state, and hopefully I'll be able to see you guys soon.
0: That'd be great. That'd be great, man. Goodness. Well,
1: I'll tell you, Omaha, my brother. Yes, sir. Here we are again. Here we are again. Here we are again mm-hmm. doing yet another episode that has to do with race, ethnicity, social justice, etc. cetera.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I mean, this issue just will not, Go away! It refuses to go away, and you know, as I think about this issue not going away, I feel like that guy Michael Corleone in the in the Godfather movies. Mm-hmm. Um, in the Godfather trilogy, in the third film, the Godfather Part Three, mm-hmm. there's a scene where you know Michael Corleone is in his kitchen, things are happening with the family, and he says, "Just when I thought I was out." They pull me back in. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I say that because how many episodes have we done right? that in one way or another has something to do with this issue, mm-hmm. this whole race, ethnicity, social justice thing? We've done several episodes of the almost 70 episodes that we've done of the just thinking broadcast since we launched in December, 2017, Mm -hmm. we've done several episodes that touch on those topics one way or another. But since we've been back this year, right. Since we've been back in 2019 Mm -hmm. with, you know, taking two months off for me to get settled out here in California, we've done the following topics. Okay. We've done sexual sin in the church. Mm -hmm. We've done a biblical theology of socialism. We've done slavery reparations. You did a great job going solo on a biblical theology of capitalism. Mm -hmm. We did worldliness in the church. We did the born alive act. And yet the subject we're dealing with today is yet another layer of an issue that simply refuses to die. Mm -hmm. And why won't it die? It won't die because there are so-called Christians out there who have unrepented hate in their hearts for people who don't look like them. Mm-hmm. That's why this issue will not die.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Any, any thoughts on that, Omaha? <clears throat> well, I definitely be. Well, I, one, I think the statement that you that you made is 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 interesting. the fact that Christians, there are Christians out there who have unrepented hate in their hearts for people who don't look like them. And and the reality is, while there are there are some who have a lens uh, that may view that only aimed in one direction. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're, yep. we we're, we're going to flip the script and, and, and show how, how, what you may be thinking with regard to that issue coming from a black perspective, seeing maybe perhaps whites in one, one way is really, is, is really, uh, or, or rather whites, rather looking at blacks in one way, the, the, the situation is reversed. Um, mm-hmm. I, I agree with you. I think that this, it, the, the issue doesn't ever seem to go away. And it's, it's been incredible. As you mentioned, since our return, you got, after you got settled into, California. The past few weeks have been an incredible run of subjects and shows that that you just mentioned. But As we walk through the issues and try to move forward, I keep looking back in the rearview mirror and watching issues of race, ethnicity, and social justice making its way up the social media highway. And then, mm-hmm. and then it pulls it pulls up close to even with where we are, and then it forces us to have to address the chaotic mess that they've left. And mm-hmm. while we're for, focusing on moving forward, we have to continue to look in our rear view mirror mm-hmm. uh, and, ju- and just see the the, the damage. What, what's been interesting to know, and I know we'll get into it, is is the boldness of the rhetoric and the unapologetic, openly divisive, racist nature of it all. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and 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 it, it's it's surprising uh, that a lot of the stuff that we're hearing uh, on platforms and in different spaces and places are said with a straight face. It's absolutely unbelievable.
1: It is unbelievable. It is absolutely unbelievable, Omaha. So we're talking in this episode about whitey. I, oh, <laughs> I mean, whiteness. <laughs> My bad. <laughs> That's so, wrong. So we're talking in this episode about whiteness. Whiteness is a subject we're dealing with today. And you know, Omaha, when I texted you late last week to let you know that whiteness would be our topic in this episode, right. the first thing that crossed my mind, as is the case with every episode we do here on the Just Thinking Broadcast, the first thing that crossed my mind, the initial question that came to my mind was, where do we begin with this? Mm. I mean, from what starting point do we approach this issue so that we can bring it into a proper biblical hermeneutic, a proper biblical focus and context in accordance with what the scriptures say about it? Right. But as I thought this through and I wrestled with it in the week leading up to our recording this episode today, I came to the realization that fundamentally, okay, fundamentally what you and I must set out to do first and foremost in this episode is to endeavor to place a concrete mm-hmm. and objective definition around what the term whiteness actually means. Mm-hmm. Defining the term whiteness is what we must attempt to do right out of the gate. Otherwise, everything else that we say for the duration of this episode will make absolutely no sense To our listeners. Absolutely.
0: Let me let me interject one thing really quickly, and and that's this that that we we what makes our show different is that we we always and I mean always begin by defining what we mean by what we say. Yep. And as I prepared for for this show in particular with you knowing that this was a topic you were gonna cover, I listened to a number of other talks by so called experts. And it was it was always interesting that they never defined their terms. Exactly. And and then they used ambiguity to attach whiteness to every change that they mm-hmm. wanted to see made. But, but I I I just wanted to pause because I want I did want our listeners even at this point to recognize the difference between what we do on Just Thinking mm-hmm. and what happens with other shows how other how other other co hosts kind of do their thing. We want folks to know, and you do a great job of making sure before we run into anything, we're giving the information, and and defining our terms.
1: Exactly. Great point, Omaha. Excellent point. Now, before doing that, before presenting what I believe to be a solid, sound, and objective definition of what whiteness is, I just want to reiterate something that regular listeners to the Just Thinking broadcast know very well already, and that is that I am rather dogmatic when it comes to Christians using biblical terms Mm -hmm. and biblical vernacular when it comes to issues like the one we're discussing today. Now, the reason I'm dogmatic about it is because words have meaning. For better or worse, context is derived from the meanings we ascribe to the words we use day in and day out. So in order to have an informed, intelligent and more importantly, biblical conversation around the subject of whiteness, the term whiteness must be objectively defined so that the dialogue in which you and I engage on this subject is based on that objective definition mm-hmm. as held up against what the word of god says about it. Does that makes yep. sense Omaha? Absolutely. All right. So, with that said, and without any further delay, I'm going to define for everyone mm-hmm. listening what whiteness is and then we'll dive into a deeper discussion about it. All right? So, here it is. Here is what whiteness is by definition whiteness is anything that is not blackness mm-hmm. <laughs> let me repeat that right whiteness by definition is anything that is not blackness mm. now, in an effort to further solidify the context of the definition I just gave, the question we must also c- consider is this: if whiteness Is anything that is not blackness, then what is blackness? What is blackness? Well, I have an answer for you, and the answer is taken from a book written by a man who many people regard as the father, quote-unquote, of black liberation theology, namely the late Dr. James H. Cone. Mm -hmm. In the book, Black Theology, A Documented History, Volume 1, which, by the way, I will again refer to later in this episode, but in the book Black Theology, a documented history, volume one, Cone defines blackness as, quote, the affirmation of black humanity, unquote. So this is in James Cone's own words. In Cone's own words, blackness is defined as, quote, the affirmation of black humanity, unquote. Now, With that definition from Cone in mind, Omaha, can you imagine any white person being allowed to define whiteness in the same terms as Cone defines blackness? That is, can you imagine any white person defining whiteness as, quote, the affirmation of white humanity, unquote? Absolutely not. No way. Absolutely not would Mm -hmm. any white person be allowed to define whiteness using the exact same words as Cone used. Mm -hmm. When you reduce the term whiteness to its most fundamental level, it essentially encompasses everything and anything that is not directly related to blackness. Mm -hmm. We We just define blackness, right, as the affirmation of black humanity. So when you reduce the term whiteness to its most fundamental level, it essentially accomplishes everything that is not directly related to blackness. Whiteness by definition is anything. And I mean anything that is not related to or has anything to do with blackness. That means anyone, anyone who is of any ethnicity other than black is guilty of whiteness.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. You get that Omaha? Absolutely. Any thoughts or comments you want to add as relates to my definition of what whiteness is or of Cone's definition of blackness?
0: Yeah. I mean, I I, only that I agree completely with the definition. I mean, I've I've listened to hours of of seminars and lectures and and the like, and in preparation for this particular uh, broadcast. And that definition really helps to encompass how the term got used, uh, and, and the manner in which people are, are defining things. So it makes absolutely the most sense to me. It's the only definition that can fully cover the level of ethnic hatred involved in the dialogues that I heard. Precisely. So, you know what? What shocks me more is than, than what's what's said in those conversations is that there's an audience that's left to listen to the speakers on the stage. You know, I mean, in order to listen to this kind of mess, I literally had to force myself to give full ear to things that were obviously and overtly racist. It was Mm -hmm. unbelievable in the process. But the definition that you've provided helps to make sense of the ambiguity that was that was used when whiteness was mentioned.
1: Bingo. Exactly. So now that we've got our definitions of whiteness, and blackness set in stone. I want to segue into talking about an event that was held recently in Dallas, Texas. Omaha, did you hear about this event? Did your wife? Just curious. Did your wife happen to attend?
0: We we, we didn't get, we didn't get any invitations, man. You didn't get invitation no invitations. For this I, one. I, it's I, called the Sparrow Cup. But did you get an invite, man? Absolutely they, they not. Didn't, they they didn't invite they didn't invite you they, out there. They, they, they know not to invite me, man. <laughs> <laughs> Well, they, they were but they this, were inv- they they invited a, a podcast co-host and, and I, so I figured you know you you as lead you you sure get, would get it you get an invite
1: Nah man I, I get maybe it got, maybe it went to my former address back in Georgia I don't that's know what, man they I, I, got I the bet money that's up. what happened
0: I bet money that's what happened
1: <laughs> So that was an event man in Dallas Texas recently. It's called the Sparrow Conference, and according to the conference website it's SparrowWomen that's Sparrow Women one word SparrowWomen.com, The ministry's mission statement is composed of just one word, peacemakers, Mm -hmm. peacemakers. Now, this one word mission statement, peacemakers, is germane to our conversation about whiteness because peace is the last thing that Sparrow Conference is being remembered for. Mm -hmm. In fact, quite the opposite. And I'll explain why in just a second. The Sparrow Conference website lists no fewer than 19 women as speakers and or worship leaders mm-hmm. and one of the speakers was a woman by the name of ekemini uwan ekemini uwan some of our listeners may be more familiar with miss uwan by her twitter handle sister underscore theology that's sister s-i-s-t-a underscore theology and also is one of the co she's also one of the co-hosts of the truth tables podcast the truth table podcast that's miss Now Ekamini Uwan again is one of at least nineteen women who were highlighted, by my count, on the Sparrow Women's Conference website. So, by no means do I want to give the impression that Ms. Uwan was the central figure at the conference. Mm -hmm. However, some of the comments she made during the conference have definitely detracted from the other speakers and, conversely, from the organization's mission statement of peacemakers. For our listeners who may be unfamiliar with Ekemini Uwan, she is Nigerian by birth, but she says she doesn't claim that particular ethnic designation because it, because it is a label which she described at the Sparrow conference as a quote, colonial tag, unquote.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Ekemini Uwan is an alumna of Westminster Theological Seminary, and she holds a master of divinity or an MDF degree. So needless to say, Ms. Uwan is neither ignorant nor unintelligent. In fact, quite the opposite. She is an extremely sharp and bright woman. But that notwithstanding, I have to say that I could not disagree more with Ms. Uwan's worldview, particularly as it relates to this whole matter of what is being referred to in certain circles as whiteness. But back to the Sparrow Conference for just a moment. The reason Ms. Uwan's remarks at the conference are germane to what we're discussing in this episode of the Justing broadcast is that her remarks undoubtedly serve to introduce many people to the term whiteness who might never have heard the term before now. Mm-hmm. But whiteness is not a new term, nor has the subject of whiteness gone unaddressed in the past. Now, I say that in light of a New York Times op-ed article that I came across in preparation for this episode entitled, What is Whiteness? The op-ed article is titled, What is Whiteness? And it was written by a gentleman by the name of Nell Irvin Painter. Nell Irvin Painter, professor emerita at Princeton University and author of the book, The History of White People. Painter's op-ed is dated June 20th, 2015 and is essentially an attempt to, as the article's title implies, explain and define what whiteness is and who actually qualifies and disqualifies as ethnically white so as to be guilty of said whiteness and consequently be called to repent of it. Now, it is toward that end be to confess your guilt and then subsequently repent of your whiteness it is toward that end that painter said this in this op-ed from 2015 quote we don't know the history of whiteness and therefore are ignorant of the many ways it has changed over the years if you investigate that history you'll see that white identity has been no more stable than black identity While we recognize the evolution of quote-unquote Negro to quote-unquote colored to quote-unquote Negro to quote-unquote African-American to quote-unquote Afro-African-American, I'm sorry, from Afro-American to African-American, we draw a blank when it comes to whiteness. To the contrary, whiteness has a history of multiplicity. The useful part of white identity's vagueness is that whites don't have to shoulder the burden of race in America, which, at the least, is utterly exhausting. Mm -hmm. A neutral racial identity is blandly uninteresting. In the 1970s, long after they had been accepted as quote unquote white, Italians, Irish, Greeks, Jews, and others proclaimed themselves ethnic. Americans, quote unquote, in order to forge a positive identity at a time of, quote unquote, black is beautiful. Mm. But this ethnic self-discovery did not alter the fact that and listen closely. But this ethnic self-discovery did not alter the fact that whiteness continued to be defined as before, primarily by what it isn't blackness. Mm. eliminating i'm still reading from painter eliminating the binary definition of whiteness the toggle between nothingness and awfulness is essential for a new racial vision that ethical people can share across the color line just as race has been reinvented over the centuries let's repurpose the term abolitionist quote-unquote as more than just a hashtag The quote unquote abolition of white privilege can be an additional component of identity, not a replacement for it. One that embeds social justice in its meaning. Even more, it unifies people of many races, close quote. So that was Nell Irvin Painter from his op-ed in The New York Times in 2015 titled What is Whiteness. Now, Mm -hmm. as a point of exposition on what I just quoted from Mr. Painter, I want to pause here for a moment to make sure our listeners understand what Painter is saying. What Nell Irwin Painter is essentially saying is that despite attempts by people who are of non black ethnicity to distinguish themselves as being of distinct ethnicity in their own right, Whiteness, he said, continues to be defined as before, primarily by what it isn't. That is blackness. In other words, in saying that Painter is giving validity and credibility to the definition of whiteness that I gave earlier in this episode. Whiteness, by definition, is anything that is not blackness. In other words, ultimately, it doesn't matter that the other ethnicities painter mentioned in his article, Italians, Irish, Greeks and Jews aren't truly white, quote unquote, in terms of their actual biological ethnicity. In the end, the only thing that matters is that those people are not black and whoever is not black is white. Consequently people of other ethnicities are all guilty of whiteness simply by virtue of not being black. Any thoughts on
0: that Omaha? This is absolutely insane. Uh, <laughs> this is insane. I mean, is anybody is, look, is anybody out there getting a headache yet? I mean, seriously, I, I already want to bang my head into a wall. Like who, who wakes up in the morning being so color-conscious that they define their entire worldview with a word that actually means nothing. Nothing. I mean, the, the The word whiteness becomes so malleable that that it becomes the redefinition at some points of sin. And since we can't can't attach biblical terms like sin to the issue we rename the sin as whiteness so that we can apply it to everything that isn't blackness yeah bingo these these are false terms they mean nothing and carry no weight and in my mind it's mind-numbing to listen to these people talk through lengthy explanations of nothingness to the applause of social justicians I mean that—that's what gets me about about all of this. As as I've said to you on more than one occasion, at some point I'm I'm wondering if we should even be using the term brother or sister to describe some of these people. And oh man! Here he, here's the thing. Wow. Here's the here's the thing. I, I know we want to we don't want to overreact regarding an ideological worldview difference uh, in 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 a matter of things that we see where where we see things differently, but at some point we have to see at some level that continued. The, the continued unrepentant sin of 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 racism mm-hmm. right i't do even mm-hmm. i do 't want to refer to it on that on, right. on that term because it, of of ethnic hatred is is a, mm-hmm. is, a, is a better way to the, mm-hmm. the continued unrepentant sin of of ethnic hatred that 's happening in the lives of of believers now i, I realize what you know what, what you just read was from a, a new york times article but but those who do claim to to biblical truth to 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 the gospel and and who and who claim you know Christianity as as a profession of, of faith we we've got to begin asking some questions all, all in all man it it hurts my head to think about I'm saddened by the petty nature of of it all and whiteness and blackness they're simply empty terms I mean I am I right about that they're empty they're actually just empty Dude, terms
1: you are so right and I thought what Painter said in his op-ed piece and we're gonna link in the episode notes once this episode is published. We are going to link to Painter's article. And I thought when I read this, I agree with exactly what you you said just then, Omaha. The word whiteness doesn't mean anything. Mm -mm. Painter, in answering the question, what is whiteness, doesn't tell us what whiteness is. He Mm -mm. He tells us what it's not. Right. Which is exactly why I say at the top of the episode, whiteness by definition is anything that is not blackness. And as our listeners continue to listen to this episode play out, they must keep that definition in mind. You have That to, definition... This... Go ahead, go ahead.
0: Go ahead. I'm gonna... I didn't mean to interrupt
1: you. No, go no, ahead. no, go. A... go
0: I Go. I, I just want to... It's, you have to... That definition that you just gave helped me through... I, I listened... I mean in In preparation today alone three hours worth of talks and then and then wow. over the, over the course of the last week, probably another three four hours of different talks on the subject of whiteness from different people who who are on the who are on a polar opposite point of view than the one than the one we hold. I wanted to hear them out. I didn't want to hear someone commentate about them. I wanted to hear them in their own voice. Mm-hmm. And so yep. I, I spent the time, I mean, we do this every week, bro, when we yep. prepare for, 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 for Just Thinking. So I, so I spent time listening to what they were actually saying in their own words, apart from anyone's commentary. And and I'm trying to nail this term down, man. I'm trying. Okay, whiteness. What is it? What is it? Oh, we almost there. You know. Okay. I, I I think I got it. I think I got it. Nah, no, it's not there. I mean, it, it's this. It's this. Never. I mean, it's. I mean, it, it's silly putty. It's stuff you can't you can't hold in your hand for long because it'll ooze out and mean something different and form form in a different place at a different time in a different way. And so, your definition should help all listeners to bring Mm -hmm. crystal clarity to what this actually is. And it's defined by what it is not. And what it is not is whiteness is the absence of blackness. I mean, that's exactly what we're dealing with at the end of the day.
1: Bingo. That's exactly what we're dealing with. So not only was that my, not my, not only was the definition of whiteness my definition, but Nell Painter validates my definition by his
0: own words. Absolutely. And then I, I think I think furthermore, the, the point you made went uh, earlier when you when you dealt with Cone and how and how how he how he defined it, I thought I thought that was brilliant because it really it really helps to clarify what's at stake uh, when uh, when I'm trying to remember, you talked about Cone. You said something about the fact that that his definition had to do with with affirming. Yeah, affirming Black humanity. Affirming Black humanity. And that has to be held out there alongside this because you see that in every single talk that... All of it had to do well. You didn't affirm. You didn't. You didn't make somebody yep. feel. They mm-hmm. didn't. They didn't yep. feel like they were. Yep. You know, and and it, it, regardless of the issue, well, they they, they 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 don't feel affirmed in evangelical circles, or they don't feel affirmed from a standpoint of theology. Or they don't feel affirmed. I'm like, man, how 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 did we get so broke? How did black folk? Let, let me just be real.
1: Man, come on, where where my hammer B3 at <laughs> Cue up the hammer B3 there. How,
0: how did how did black folk? Who, who came uh, across across the continents, right? Uh, uh, the, 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 the transatlantic slave trade, land in America, still standing, become so weak. Bruh. How did we become so crippled and so Bruh, weak man. that every time we turn around, we got to be validated and affirmed and patty caked into something? I'm just, I'm, I'm about to pass out. I mean, Bruh. can you hear my voice? <laughs> your
1: thing, bro. Say that, Virg. You know what, bro? I was thinking the other day j- along the same lines. You know, back in the 70s, man, you know, the Black National Anthem, they called it, right? Yes, yes. Was what? It was Lift Every Voice and Sing. Yes. Lift every voice and sing till earth and heaven ring. You remember that, Virg? Yes, I do. I do. But what's the National Anthem now for Black people? Nobody knows the trouble I see. Man, I'm telling you, racism in, in Nobody 2019.
0: Knows. Racism in Nobody 2019, knows. That, that's gotta be the song. That's gotta be the song. That's exactly to your
1: point. How do we go in the span of one generation <laughs> Right. from Lift Every Voice and Sing to Nobody Knows the Trouble I Sing?
0: That's where we are. <laughs> that's, that's exactly gotta, where we are. You gotta tweet that out, man. You gotta... <laughs>
1: But you see, Omaha, this all points, this all points to the absurdity and shallowness of this whole idea of whiteness. Yeah, yeah. Like the concept of quote unquote race itself, the concept of whiteness is just another invented social construct that has absolutely no basis whatsoever in biblical orthodoxy. Mm -hmm. I kind of liken it to someone who kind of saunters into their kitchen at home, uh, grabs a mixing bowl, adds a little critical race theory, along with a dash of black liberation theology for taste, puts it in the oven, (laughs) sets the temperature on 375 for 30 minutes, and waits to see what comes out. I mean, that's exactly what this whiteness ideology is, namely a recipe, if you will, for sinful division and hatred mm-hmm. within the church and within the broader society. I mean, it is nothing more than a regurgitation of postmodernist sociocultural rhetoric that has been pontificated mm-hmm. for decades by such critical race theorists as Kimberly Crenshaw, Derek Bell, Patricia mm-hmm. Williams, Richard Delgado, and Eduardo Bonilla Silver Silva as well as such noted advocates of black liberation theology as James Cone, Dwight mm-hmm. Nathaniel Hopkins, Robert Beckford, the late Albert B. Klieg Jr., Joseph Ratzinger, Kenneth L. Walters, and last but not least, Jeremiah Wright. Mm-hmm. Now, I've used a couple of terms here in the past couple of seconds, and for those who may be unfamiliar with the terms critical race theory Mm -hmm. and black liberation theology and what they are by definition, I want to take a few moments now to define those two terms for you. Let's start with critical race theory or CRT. Okay. Mm -hmm. Critical race theory. Critical race theory is the view within social science that race quote unquote instead of being biologically grounded and natural is socially constructed. And that race as a socially constructed concept functions as a means to maintain the interest of the majority white population that constructed it. Mm -hmm. Now, according Mm -hmm. to CRT racial inequality emerges from the social economic and legal differences that white people create between races in order to maintain elite white interests in labor markets and politics, and as such, create the circumstances and structures that give rise to the poverty and criminality that exists in many minority communities. Wow. Now, critical race theories combine progressive political struggles for racial justice with critiques of the conventional legal and scholarly norms which are themselves viewed as part of the illegitimate hierarchies that need to be destroyed. Critical race theorists reject the idea that race has a natural referent. Instead, for them, race is a product of social processes of power. Mm -hmm. That's my definition of critical race theory. Now, on to black liberation theology let's define that
2: Mm
1: -hmm. the idea of black liberation theology emerged during the second half of the 1960s when a small group of radical black clergy began to reinterpret the meaning of the christian faith from the standpoint of the black struggle for liberation in the united states the main objective of black liberation theology was to quote unquote theologize from within the black experience. Now, that is very, very important to note. Mm-hmm. Very important to note. The main objective of black liberation theology was to theologize from within the black experience rather than be confined to duplicating the theology of Europe or white North America. Black liberation theology represented the theological reflections of a radical black clergy seeking to interpret the meaning of God's liberating presence in a society where blacks were being economically exploited and politically marginalized because of their skin color. Now, in 1966, a group of 51 black pastors, known as the National Committee of Black Churchmen, bought a full page ad in the New York times and demanded in that ad, a more aggressive approach to eradicating racism. The statement, which was known as the quote unquote black power statement echoed the demands of the black power movement, but the new crusade found its source of inspiration in the Bible.
2: Mm-hmm. Okay.
1: So again, it is very, very important that we, if you're to, if you to understand black liberation theology, you must remember that the main objective of black liberation theology was to theologize from within the black experience, the black experience. Now I'm going to go and dig a lot deeper into the role black liberation theology plays in all of this later in the episode. But in the meantime, let me say that for each of these ideologies, critical race theory and black liberation theology, The focus is on the temporal liberation of black people Mm -hmm. from the racist structures that exist in America and the demonizing of white people are to blame for who are to blame for creating those structures, whatever those structures might be. Mm -hmm. Let me repeat that critical race theory for critical race theory and black liberation theology. The focus is on the temporal liberation of, of black people, from the racist structures that exist in America and the demonizing of white people who are to blame for creating those structures, whatever those structures may be. Now, with respect to how these two ideologies relate to the issue of whiteness, and remember, whiteness is anything that is not blackness. Remember that. And with respect to how those two ideologies, critical race theory and black liberation theology relate to the issue of whiteness, adherents of critical race theory, as well as black liberation theology, believe that no person, and when I say no person, that means no white person should ever have a socioeconomic advantage over any non-white person, especially when one considers that that advantage had to have been the result of or byproduct of a structured and choreographed system of race based oppression, which in creating those advantages for white people consequently resulted in myriad disadvantages for black people. Mm. In other words, if black people are not flourishing socioeconomically in the same way as white people, And the assumption within both critical race theory and black liberation theology is always that all white people simply because they're Mm -hmm. white Mm -hmm. are basking in the glow of socioeconomic success in America. Then something must be done to destroy those racist structures and thus level the socioeconomic playing field Mm -hmm. because that playing field is inherently discriminatory by design. If for no other reason than that, as a black person, I don't get to play on the same field as they this kind of envious logic reminds me of what the noted economist Thomas Sowell said in his book, the quest for cosmic justice. Mm -hmm. Sowell said this quote, envy was once considered one of the seven deadly sins before it became one of the most admired virtues under its new name, Mm. social justice Mm. unquote.
0: Wow. Any thoughts on that Omaha? Yeah, I want to. I want to tell our listeners at this point. Uh, I, I want to encourage you to go back and uh, walk back through. If you're if you're listening to this on on iTunes or what have you, go back and listen to a the definitions that Daryl just gave, and take out a note, a, a pen, some paper, write the definitions down. They are they are critical to your understanding. Of of what you're hearing because it can be if if you're new to critical race theory or you're you're new to black liberation theology the 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 rhetoric in those spaces can get confusing mm-hmm. because they're 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 using language that that is. Is psychological and social, while at the same time layering it with biblical and theological terminologies and their implications.
1: Great point, brother.
0: Great point. And so it can get incredibly confusing without having some benchmarks and some lines of demarcation to know when it's happening, what it's happening, and why it's happening. And I think you, I think that wh- what you just what you just laid out for our listeners is incredibly. Important. So, my, my thoughts in particular, with regard to what, what you just talked about, is the, the avoidance of personal responsibility and the blame mm-hmm. uh, of, as a common source, though, it being the white man, it, it should all inform us of the error in this thinking. Mm-hmm. Right. One of the things that I find interesting is that, is that people who espouse these ideas are everything contrary to what they claim is actually happening in, rea- in, in reality to, to the blacks that they represent. Mm-hmm. Yep. By by that, here's what I mean. Think about the resume of of Miss Uwan. Echamini Uwan, right? The, the, mm-hmm. She holds a she holds a master's degree in divinity from Westminster Theological Seminary in Philadelphia. That, that's not mm-hmm. that, that's nothing to sneeze at, right? Right. That's not she's, too shabby. No, that's not too shabby. She's a co host of a of a podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, a, according to her bio page, she won the 2015 Green Prize in Apologetics Award. Uh, she's a Christianity Today named her among the the quote. Ten new or lesser-known female theologians worth knowing. End quote. Uh, her, her bio page also says that her insights have been quoted by CNN, the New York Times, the Washington Post, and the New Yorker. Now, all of this is possible, and I I I'd, I'd, I'd add because of an exceptional American system that has that has less to do with racism today. Than that than that that Miss Uwan and her contemporary justicians would like to pretend is actually happening right now. Right? You you have you have to stop and ask yourself from where do these people get their information? How did they land on this idea where there's more racism in our culture today than at any other time in, in in history's past? I mean, where did the concept, where did this concept of whiteness, Darren, I'm I'm hoping you're going to, and I know you're going to walk us through, this concept of whiteness actually come from. Where did this all come from, man?
1: I got you, bro. I got you. And we're going to get there. We're going to get there. Now, by the way, brilliant points, Omaha. Absolutely brilliant points that you just made. But, you know, with all that I've been saying to this point, with all that I've been saying to this point regarding the concept of whiteness and its origins in critical race theory and black liberation theology, What I want our listeners to understand most fundamentally is that these ideas, all of them, are grounded in worldly, man-centered wisdom and not in the wisdom of God. That's good. They are worldly theories, worldly solutions, and worldly approaches that are not grounded in Scripture. It is the kind of wisdom the Apostle James cautions believers against in James chapter 3 verses 13 through 17, which I will now read from the non-Armenian standard Bible. (laughs) I knew knew you had to get there, man. James three verses 13 through 17. Mm -hmm. Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior, his deeds in the gentleness of wisdom. In light of what James is saying here, let me pause for a second and ask. What is gentle about black people telling white people? All of whom, like them, are creating the image of God. Mm -hmm. What is gentle about black people telling white people that they need to, quote, divest themselves of their whiteness, Mm -hmm. unquote? Mm -hmm. What is gentle about that? Going back to the text in James, who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior, his deeds in the gentleness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom, James says, is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural and demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every evil thing. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering without hypocrisy. Mm -hmm. That's James 3 verses 13 through 17. Now, having just read that passage from James 3, I have a question for you, Omaha. Mm -hmm.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And all this talk about whiteness, all this talk, which you just alluded to in in your previous comments, and all this talk about whiteness that we're hearing from critical race theorists like Ekemini Uwan and others. Has anything you've heard thus far from them been in any way reflective of the attitudinal characteristics
0: mentioned in the passage I just read from James 3? And there's there's nothing. I mean, nothing. It's. The sheer arrogance and and ethnic hatred that is that is demonstrated in the attitude of those who I mean you know Ekamini Uwan at, at one point it looked like during during the talk that she had given people were kind of heading out and and the the response by her is if if you don't agree with them then you know you're you're dealing with white fragility. Bingo. Right. Yeah. You, mm-hmm. you, you're, you're just you're just fragile. Yeah. And, and, and you're, you're the you're the one with the issue. All the while her, you know, Echamini Juan and others are always, you know, appealing to the fact that, you know, you, you need to make black folks. You have to appeal to them. You have to do this. You have to. do that. I mean, all of this kowtow and bowing and kid gloving mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That, that whites need to do for blacks. And and and, and if they can't handle what they're being told then then it, it, they're they're expressing their white fragility this is arrogance mm-hmm. so they, they no to to the point you made about about the attitude, ad, attitudinal characteristics there's, there's there's nothing reflective whatsoever of what you just mentioned from James 3:0 exactly
1: exactly the truth is there's is nothing about the rhetoric the rhetoric of these people nothing there's nothing about their rhetoric that as we just read in James 3 nothing about their rhetoric that is pure or peaceable, or gentle, or reasonable, or full of mercy, or probably most importantly, is without hypocrisy. Mm -hmm. In fact, it's quite the opposite. Like much of the language used by evangelical critical race theorists, the term whiteness is yet another made-up and subjective word that is dividing the body of Christ, Mm -hmm. and the church is falling for it. Mm -hmm. To your point. We have to bow down. We have to kiss feet. We've got to kiss toes. Otherwise, white people, you guys are just fragile. Right. Terms like whiteness are blatantly unbiblical and do absolutely nothing in terms of fostering the kind of bodily oneness that Christ desires for his church. Now, I say that in light of Jesus' own words. In John chapter 17, verse 21, where he prayed these words That they, that is believers, that they may all be one. Even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us, so that the world may believe. And on that subject of, of unity, of oneness, the Apostle John writes in 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 and 8, John writes this, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. That was 1 John 4, 7, verses 7 and 8. You know, we like to quote that verse a lot at the end of that text, at the end of verse eight, like to say, God is love. Right, right, right. But we don't like to cite the words right before that. The one who does not love does not know God Mm -hmm. that comes before the words. God is love, but we go straight to God is love. Mm -hmm. You know, to your point earlier though, Omaha, the language of critical race theory And black liberation theology is completely at odds with the oneness Jesus desires for his body, the church, and his language that is inherently divisive and alienating. Mm -hmm. They're worldly concepts that are antithetical to the true gospel. That is the gospel Jesus preached, as they do nothing to build up or edify the body of Christ. But, to the contrary, it serves only to tear it down. Mm-hmm. Critical race theory promotes the exact opposite of what we, as believers in Christ, are exhorted to do in Ephesians four verses two and three, where Paul writes this with all humility and patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to pers- preserve rather being diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit in the bonds of peace. Mm. I want to read that again, Ephesians four, verses two and three, with all humility and patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve, not destroy, not to tear down, to preserve the unity of the spirit in the bonds of peace. So scripture is abundantly clear that believers in Christ are to work to preserve the unity of the spirit not uh-huh. destroy it and to do so with as Paul
0: writes all humility yeah dare let me let me add something Go to ahead. what to what you're saying here i one I, I, I love it as i thought about what you're saying i think you're spot on and 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 you recognize that in the in not only the, the tone of what is being said the attitude about what's being said but in but in the lack of truthfulness in what's being said mm-hmm, yeah it, it, it's dev, it's devoid of truth it, it's all aimed in one direction as if we've never sinned it, oh, it's, man. It, it, you know what I'm saying i mean it, right. when, when you begin, when you begin to look at the at the language it's as if all white people are are evil mm-hmm. and they and they've done these wrong things and they need to atone for them and and it's devoid of 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 anything that says the, the, apart from the grace of God that's me too.
1: Oh man, come on! It's come complete, on with the B
0: three. It's completely devoid of that. I mean, think when, when I, whenever I have an opportunity, man, I go out and do, do street evangelism. I'm on a street uh-huh. corner and I'm, I'm proclaiming the gospel and the, and the and the truth of that gospel is harsh, man. That you are a sinner, you're a sinful human being, you're, though created in God's image, you've fallen from God. You've you've departed from God. You're angry. You're at war with God. You're an object uh-huh. of God's wrath. That is that's tough language. Yep but but it's followed by the love that's attached to it, which says, man, here's the thing. Apart from the very grace of God, that's me too. Bingo, That's exactly. me too. And, and, exactly. and, if, and, and you need to hear that and know that. And I've, I, I, like you, ha, ha, am a beggar who's found bread. And I just want to point you to where the bread of life actually is. Mm-hmm. When Come you on, listen, man, when you listen to the language of these folks, as, as, I, as, as I have for hours now, it's completely devoid of the reality of a biblical reality, which is Bingo. all of us have sinned and fallen short right. of the glory of God. Right. So, so none so none of that creates any unity of the spirit or the bond of peace because there's no peace being offered. Amen, the, print, the, the Prince of wow. Peace is absent, right? Bro. Ab- totally absent. Absent. Totally absent. Totally.
1: Mm-hmm. You know, as you as I was listening to you there, your your point that they're acting as if they have no sin. Right. I'm reminded of the words in uh, Psalm 106. Psalm 106, verse 3, says, how blessed are those who keep justice. You know, they like that word justice a lot. Right, right, right. They have justice for breakfast. (laughs) How blessed are those who keep justice, who practice righteousness at all times. Yes. Psalm 106, 3 there is no one who can claim that who can attest to the words that I just read in Psalm 106, three, Mm -hmm. no one, there's no one who has ever lived. Save Christ himself who practices righteousness at all times. Right. Right. Psalm 106, three, I would politely and humbly ask my critical race theory, Black liberation theology Brothers and sisters out there Go meditate on that text Right Go meditate on Psalm 106.3 How blessed are those Who keep justice See they'll 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 memorize And put the first part Of that verse On a bumper sticker
2: mm-hmm.
1: On a t-shirt mm-hmm. It's like they It's like they selectively Like to quote Micah 6.8 All the time No but Psalm 106.3 Doesn't stop there It doesn't stop at the word justice See there's a comma there Not a period mm who practice righteousness at all times, you know, so this emphasis on humility that Paul was talking about in Ephesians four, his emphasis on humility there is important to note because there is nothing humble about critical race theory. No, there's not, nothing, nothing mm-hmm. critical race theorists are thoroughly convinced that they are always right because they're smarter than everyone else. Mm hmm. Not only that, critical race theorists believe themselves to be morally purer than Mm -hmm. everyone else, Mm -hmm. because they are the only ones who have the solutions to the problems of racial discord in America. And believing yourself to be morally purer purer than anyone else is even worse than believing you are always right. (laughs) So it is in that regard that critical race theorists remind me of the parable of the arrogant Pharisee and the tax collector in Luke 18. Luke 18, verses 9 through 14. Luke writes, and he also told this parable to some people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. This is to your point earlier, Omaha. And he, that is Jesus, also told this parable to some, to some people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector the Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself quote God, I thank you that I am not like other people swindlers, unjust adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, I pay tithes of all that I get unquote but the tax collector standing some distance away was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven but was his breast, God be merciful to me, the sinner.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. The sinner. Mm-hmm. There is nothing about critical race theory or its adherence that brings the word humility to mind. In fact, Omaha, as I was reading that text just now, 18. I actually could have stopped at the first verse stop right there because it describes perfectly who CRT zealots are and how they view themselves. People who trust in themselves that they are righteous and view others with contempt. Now an example of this kind of contemptuous attitude is a comment made recently by a miss Kelly Brown Douglas. Kelly Brown Douglas is Dean of the Episcopal school of divinity at Union Theological Seminary. And if you don't know anything about Union Theological Seminary, Union Theological Seminary is one of, if not the, most liberal seminary in America today. Mm -hmm. Kelly Brown Douglas said this in an interview conducted last month at All Saints Episcopal Church in Pasadena, California. Ms. Douglas said this, quote, just because you look like a white American doesn't mean you have to act like one. The first step on the road to recovery is to own one's whiteness and realize how it keeps you from your true identity as a child of God, unquote. Now, it was in that same interview that Miss Douglas said this, quote, you can't be white and follow Jesus. Whiteness and Christianity cannot go together, unquote. Now, you know, Omaha, when I initially came across these words from Kelly Brown Douglas, my mind immediately went to a couple of texts in the New Testament. First of all, in Hebrews 12 verses 14 and 15. Hebrews 12 verses 14 and 15. Pursue peace with all men and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and by it many be defiled. That's Hebrews twelve fourteen and fifteen. I also thought about Ephesians chapter four verses thirty one and thirty two. Well, Paul writes this: Let all bitterness, all bitterness and wrath. And anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Mm -hmm. Now, the word bitterness is common to both those verses, Omaha, and Kelly Brown Douglas is to me a very bitter person. (laughs) For someone who professes to be a Christian.
0: Mm-hmm. Any thoughts on that? Well, yeah, the first was that you, again, you mentioned it up top, Union Theological Seminary. It's the same seminary that, that posted a Twitter response when the statement on social justice and the gospel came out. Uh, to a point you made earlier, uh, deal about critical race theory being central to the ideas espoused by thought leaders of, of whiteness. Right. I found Union and Union Pacific's response. Uh, regarding justice it was interesting man in their twitter response on the statement of social justice here's what they wrote they wrote and I quote we affirm that justice is central to God's liberative mission moreover we affirm that God enacts that justice through humans helping us correct millennia old sins that permeate both the church and the culture here here's the here's the crazy part we deny that critical theory is irrelevant To its mission, end quote. Now, there's so many problems with this statement that they made. The fact that they're going to help God enact justice <laughs> on other human beings should cause alarm bells. Yes. Absolute. That, that should ring, that should scream in our ears, right? Right. M- m- millennia old sins. So the cross of Christ was insufficient to handle. There's some sins the cross of Christ was so insufficient in handling that they're going to need to step in and that they yep. use critical race theory or critical theory as relevant. To their mission they, they're saying Bingo. that if if someone says that, that critical theory is irrelevant uh, they they're, they're the ones who have the problem, not them, and so not them yeah it, it's interesting that while while they're going to appeal uh, Kelly Brown Douglas is going to appeal to the blood of Christ for his mercy and grace regarding her salvation. people like her and other social justicians, they're going to demand justice from all others that are not black Wow. This, this is, this is the problem with, with this kind of, with this kind of thought process. The second thought was in the conversation. It's interesting because I listened to you pick up a couple of quotes from that, from that talk. I watched the mm-hmm. whole little, little, it was like a 33, 34 minute kind of, kind of Q and a, uh, she's there with a moderator. Uh, she, you know, which for, for our listeners, you can find her talk on, on YouTube under the title beyond whiteness.
1: Yeah. And we're going to link that. Let me just say real quickly, Omaha, we're going to link that video in the episode notes when this episode of the Just Thinking broadcast is released uh, later this week. So be sure to, uh, to and when you go out uh, to uh, either the site or your podcast app to listen, look for a link to that video in the episode notes.
0: Yep. She she begins to talk about the need for racial reconciliation and how that first we must begin with the admission of guilt that whites must first begin with the admission of guilt. Now now the moderator he tries to explain that there's a difference between the admission of guilt and the shame that's associated with the guilt. The the moderator goes on to say that that, that there's a there's a quote app for guilt called reconciliation. I don't know if you remember this part. This is at about the 24 minute mark. Uh, in the in the video, not skipping a beat, man. Kelly Brown Douglas continues by saying, and I quote: "I, I want to address what you said about the app for guilt. Before we get to reconciliation for guilt, we'll get to the app for guilt, but that's way down the line. The app for guilt begins with this thing called repentance, and repentance is about turning around and doing something different. And so, you know, you've got to repent." Of your whiteness that's what she said I, mean, I repeat you've got to <sighs> repent of your whiteness what does it look like to repent of your whiteness that means to live out in to live to live out of a construct of whiteness and doing something different. It's okay to mess up. it's not about perfection it's about progress. And then she goes on to say this, and I quote, a feminist theologian talks about the fact that white people are always in recovery. When you mess up, just recognize it and get back on the road. End quote. Now, now, Daryl, this I, I was uh. shocked. I was I was shocked that there were still people in the audience at this point, like there was still oh an audience gosh. left after she said this, right? And and, and I, as I turn things back over to you, man, I, I just got a question for 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 you, and it's this: Can you imagine in your wildest imagination? I mean, imagine this: Imagine, imagine on a platform, John MacArthur and 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 Phil Johnson doing a Q and A where one of them would say to an audience full of mostly black brothers and say, "You have to repent of your blackness, and when you mess yeah. up, you just need to recognize it and get back on the road." End quote. Can you? imagine I can't, no way! No <laughs> way! That wouldn't be possible? Furthermore, no can you wait? Can, can you imagine if they hinted to something like that? The national backlash—no—that would take place on something like that. Yet, 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 listen. People, yet, people like this—this—this—you know—Kelly Brown Douglas—is applauded and given more stages yeah. to to permeate yeah. this ridiculous racism.
1: And you called it exactly what it is. Yeah. Although I, I know we both hate that word. I,
0: I do, but th- that's the only two people. It's, can ethnic, hatred. it's, it's ethnic, ethnic hatred. Ethnic hatred. Ethnic hatred. It's sin. It's exactly what it is. It's, it's sin. sin. It's unrepentant it's- sin. It's proud, unrepentant sin on full display for everyone to see.
1: And what did I say at the very beginning of this episode? I said the reason we're still talking about this kind of stuff is because we have so-called Christians out here with unrepentant hate in their heart Mm -hmm. for other brothers and sisters only because those brothers and sisters don't look like them. Right. People like Kelly Brown Douglas are proving my definition of whiteness to be spot on. Absolutely. Whiteness is anything that does not have to do with blackness.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: If you're not black, you're white. And as a result, you're guilty. I don't care what your ethnicity is. If you're not black, you're white. And you're guilty of whiteness <laughs> by virtue of not being black. Mm-hmm. So on both these views, in both of these views, critical race theory and black liberation theology, it's all about black people being quote unquote liberated from these oppressive structures established by white people and all white people simply by virtue of being white are complicit in the creation of these structures. Mm -hmm. Now that said, I would remind the, CR, the CRTers and BLTers out there, of what Scripture says in Acts seventeen twenty six. Acts seventeen twenty six. God made from one man, that man being Adam. God made from one man, every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth. That's Acts seventeen twenty six. Now that word nation. And Acts seventeen twenty six is not referring to geographical landmasses, boundaries, or territories, but is the Greek noun ethnos, from which we get our English word ethnicity. Mm-hmm. And it is on the basis of texts such as Acts seventeen twenty six that I consistently argue, and I've done this on my social media platforms and my blog articles, on this on this podcast. That's why I consistently argue that the term race, as most people use and define the term in today's sociocultural milieu, is not biblical. The term race is not biblical. The biblical term is ethnicity. As we just exegeted from Acts X 1726. The biblical term is not race, but ethnicity. Skin color is not Race. Nor is race ethnicity. Mm-hmm. Skin color is a matter of melanin, and melanin is simply a matter of the effect of the oxidization of certain amino acids and their effect on skin pigmentation. Mm. But when you think about it, Omaha, a key reason why you and I are even having this discussion about whiteness in the first place is because people are so ignorant of the fact that there is no such thing as race. Mm -hmm. Listen, race is a social construct whose origins are rooted in the heresy of Darwinian evolution, Mm -hmm. whereas ethnicity is a completely biblical term and is determined biologically on the basis of the blood that runs through the veins of every human being. Race is a myth. It does not exist. Listen to what the late Robert Wald Sussman writes in his critically acclaimed book, the myth of race. This is Robert Wald Sussman in the myth of race. What many people do not realize is that racial structure is not based on reality. Anthropologists have shown for many years now that there is no biological reality to human race. There are no major complex behaviors that directly correlate with what might be considered human, quote unquote, racial characteristics. There is no inherent relationship between intelligence law abidingness, or economic practices and race, just as there is no relationship between nose size, height, blood group, or skin color, and any set of complex human behaviors. However, this is Sussman. However, over the past 500 years, we have been taught by an informal mutually reinforcing consortium of intellectuals, politicians, statesmen, business and economic leaders, and their books that human racial biology is real and that certain races are biologically better than others. Mm. These teachings, Sussman writes, these teachings have led to major injustices to Jews and non-Christians during the Spanish Inquisition, to blacks, native americans and others during colonial times to african americans during slavery and reconstruction to jews and other europeans during the reign of the nazis in germany and to groups from latin america and the middle east among others during model po- modern political times unquote. sussman nails it there is no such thing as race but the church is buying into this lie. They're buying into the lie that race is a real thing. Scripture is very clear on this matter. The term ethnicity is biblical. The term race is not. And every ethnicity that is in existence today shares a common biological source. We just read that in Acts 17, 26, every ethnicity, shares a common biological source, and that source is Adam. Mm -hmm. And in that one regard, we all have a common human father. But with respect to who we are in Christ, there's to be no sinful prejudices or biases made with regard to ethnicity or any other such physiological characteristic of who we are as human beings. So on the one hand, yes, we have a common human father. But as it relates to our common father god who we have in christ there are to be no no biases prejudices or any other distinctions made especially with respect to our physiological characteristics that point is clearly made by the apostle paul in galatians chapter 3 verses 26 to 28 come on where paul says for you are all sons of god through faith in Christ Jesus mm-hmm. for all of you were who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ there is neither Jew nor Greek there is neither slave nor free man there is neither male nor female for you are all one in
0: Christ Jesus any thoughts on man that was a powerful again a powerful section to walk through I love what what uh what Sussman said about about the myth of, of race this was a uh, if, if I remember correctly I know you've been posting a few of the books that you've been reading is this one you, you you read a while back that you were you were encouraging others to read or was that something else
1: yeah absolutely as a matter of fact in responding to that sort of social media uh, tag trend that's going on right now right. the myth of race by Robert Wall Subman, that was the first book that was the first image of the first book title that I posted
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Everyone should have a copy of that book. That's good, man. That's really, really good. I thought I thought that that sounded familiar and uh, wanted to wanted to remind our, our, our audience of that as well. I think it was well stated biblical categories. and You've you've said this time and time and time again. Exactly. On our show that biblical categories are a must. Uh, and, and the longer that we discuss uh, issues uh, around ethnicity, uh, the issues that that permeate the social justice uh, arena. These become incredibly important issues related to sociology, psychology, anthropology, harmartiology, right? Mm-hmm. Soteriology, mm-hmm. ecclesiology. Mm-hmm. It's a must that yep. we maintain biblical categories and terms. And what we see happening is so called theologians are extracting ideas from from marxism and incorporating them with a little bit of you said it earlier a dash of liberation yep. theology mm-hmm. and then they're and then they're reframing theological categories into into the nonsense that we hear on platforms wrapped under the guise of intellectualism yep that's the part that kills yep. me the, the the bottom line is that this this stuff ain't deep now I but see I know- that's,
1: that that was my point earlier about they think
0: they're smarter they they think right. they're smarter than everyone else right right i mean it it i it's just not deep it really isn't now, i i know I know it's not proper English to say this stuff ain't deep, but there's i that's, i just have to say it that way. <laughs> <laughs> I just you got you got to say it that way. Say like to, it is, verse. Just, just to make it clear, it's it's not it's it's not deep thinking. It's actually foolishness. It reminds me of of the Ecclesiastes ten fourteen, which says, "A fool multiplies words, though no man knows what is to be, and who can tell him." what will be after him. What's meant by that is what's meant by that is people are using a number of words to say much, but it is actually foolish talk and they have no Mm -hmm. idea what they're saying or where they're going. All of it is foolishness. Wow.
1: Bruh. See that, that, I I counted about six Hammond B three moments there. (laughs) (laughs) What you just said, man, you nailed it. You nailed it. Now, I mentioned earlier in the episode that I was going to delve a little deeper into the role black liberation theology plays yes. in the development of this ungodly concept of whiteness. We we yeah. spent some time on critical race theory. Now I want to kind of unpack the role that black liberation theology has played in this concept of whiteness. And I want to do that right now. OK, yeah. so yeah. I want to, I want to begin by reading selected passages from three different books. Selected passages from three different books, all of which are authored by black liberation theologians. Okay, the first is the book that I alluded to earlier, Black Theology, a Documented History, volume one. I cited that one earlier in our conversation. Black Theology, a Documented History, volume one, in which Joseph A. Johnson writes this, quote, for us, that is black people, for us black theology is the theology of black liberation it seeks to plumb the 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 black condition in light of god's revelation in jesus christ so that the black community can see the gospel is commensurate with the achievement of black humanity was that was that was where black humanity sound like that was Cohn's definition Cone. of blackness right so that the black community can see the gospel is commensurate with the achievement of black humanity. Black theology is a theology of blackness. It is the affirmation of black humanity that emancipates black people from white racism, thus providing authentic freedom for both white and black people. Johnson continues. It affirms the humanity of white people in that it says no, to the encroachment of white oppression, unquote. So that was Joseph A. Johnson in Black Theology, a Documented History, Volume 1. Now, mm-hmm. similar to what Johnson expressed in the passage I just read from the book Black Theology, a book which, by the way, it could be argued, expresses the orthodoxy and orthopraxy of black liberation theology from a black male perspective. I will next read from the book entitled. Sisters in the Wilderness: The Challenges of Womanist God Talk. Okay, Sisters in the Wilderness: The Challenges of Womanist God Talk, in which author Dolores S. Williams writes from the perspective of the Black feminist or womanist, as Black feminists prefer to be called. She's writing from the Black womanist perspective when she writes this quote: "Today, a theological corrective." is developing that has considerable potential for bringing black women's experience into theology. Now, let me pause there. Where did we see that phrase earlier? Black experience. Well, we saw that in the definition of black liberation theology, that it seeks to write theologize from the perspective of black experience. So let me continue with what Miss Williams says here in her book, sisters in the wilderness. Today, a theological corrective is developing that has considerable potential for bringing black women's experience into theology so that black women will see the need to transform the sexist character of the churches and their theology. The corrective emerging from black female theologians, ethicists, biblical scholars, ministers, and lay women is called womanist theology. This theology is beginning to provide real insight for my concern with faith-seeking understanding. As I see it, she writes, as I see it, womanist theology is a prophetic voice reminding African-American denominational churches of their mission to seek justice and voice for all their people, of which black women are are the overwhelming majority in their congregations. Womanist theology attempts to help Black women see, affirm, and have confidence in the importance of their experience and faith for determining the character of the Christian religion in the African-American community. Now, she closes with this. Like Black male Black liberation theology, womanist theology assumes the necessity of responsible freedom for all human beings. But womanist theology especially concerns itself with the faith, survival, and freedom struggle of African-American women. Unquote. Now, lastly of the three, lastly of the three passages that I want to cite, and here's where this all comes together in terms of the relationship between black liberation theology and whiteness. In the book, Why, Lord?, Author Anthony B. Penn writes, and hold on to your seats when you hear this. In the book, Why Lord, author Anthony B. Penn writes this, and I quote, God has, in giving humans free will, limited God's own range oh of activity gosh. within history. Oh, my God. Yeah, I let got yep. to
0: stop. Hold on. Hold on. I, I, wait a minute. I need to clear my head for a second. Wow. I, I just. I'm about to pass out right now. Wait a minute. Yeah.
1: Anthony B. Penn, P I N N, Mm -hmm. writes this in his book, Why Lord? God has, in giving humans free will, limited God's own range of activity within history. That is to say, God placed a restriction upon God's transforming contact with humanity. A consequence of this self imposed limitation is the ability, the inability, rather. The inability of God to assist humans through divine coercion. Let me repeat that. A consequence, Penn writes, a consequence of God's self imposed limitation. That is, his self imposed limiting of his contact with humanity. A consequence of that is the inability to assist humans through divine coercion. Rather, he says, God involves God's self with humanity through the art of persuasion. Oh my and in God. this way, and in this way remains an integral and vital presence. This self-imposed reduction in divine power, Penn writes, this self-imposed reduction in divine power makes it necessary. And this is to your earlier comment, Omaha. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Penn writes that this self-imposed reduction in divine power Makes it necessary for humans to serve as God's co workers in the liberation struggle. Unquote. Wow. Wow. That's Anthony B. Penn in the book Why Lord. Now, did you hear that, Omaha? Mm-hmm. Penn says it is, quote, necessary for humans to serve as God's co workers in the liberation struggle, unquote. Now, what Penn is describing here is what I've termed ethnic arminianism <laughs> this is ethnic arminianism i will explain what i mean by that ethnic arminianism is a theology in which black people work in conjunction with god as, as we just read from Penn. ethnic arminianism is a theology in which black people work in conjunction with god to liberate themselves from the systematic oppression of white people And in doing so, they achieve the full orbed salvation that is offered through Christ's atoning work on the cross. That is what I mean by the term ethnic Arminianism. So to your earlier point, uh, Omaha, the atonement of Christ and what he accomplished through his death on the cross is not enough. Mm -mm. What Penn is arguing is that black people need to come alongside God, Mm -hmm. help him out, with respect specific respect to liberating black people from white oppression. And then when that comes to fruition, the salvation quote unquote, that Christ achieved on the cross will come to full blown fruition. Right. That's why I call it ethnic Arminianism. Now Mm -hmm. that said, and having read the aforementioned passages, I trust it is now becoming clearer to everyone listening what's going on here in terms of how black liberation theology contributes to this whole whiteness movement black liberation theology posits that for black christians in particular jesus's mission was not primarily to be the propitiation for our sins as scripture teaches in first john 2 2 and he himself is the propitiation for our sins and not only for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. No, for black liberation theologians, especially for Christians who are black, Jesus is to be viewed first and foremost as a divine social justice warrior who came into the world, born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, was crucified bodily, was buried bodily, rose bodily from the dead, Just so he could liberate black people from the oppression of white people, Jesus did all that, just so he could free black people from white oppression, and and
0: and only partially. Yeah, and and, and only partially, and only partially because he he still is impotent to really fully do it. That he he needs he needs other black intellectuals and social justicians to come alongside him, to help him finish the process, help him finish the job. (laughs)
1: yeah exactly again that's why i coined the term ethnic arminianism
0: Mm -hmm. we gotta help we gotta help god close this loop yeah yeah you gotta you gotta help him seal the deal the stone wasn't fully rolled away no no. it was only there's a little crack left a little crack and we and he and we've got we've got some more work to do man there 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 are so many thoughts about this man that i want to add if you'll let me here in 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 this space man I, a couple of thoughts. One is with the the I, I was obli- I, you taught me something today that that uh, that womanist is what what black yes. feminists prefer yes. to be called are yes. womanists. Yes. Ra- rather than feminists. Right. I was and- first
1: hip to that. I was first hip to that when I was at Princeton Seminary a few years ago um, as a fellow of the Black Theology and Leadership Institute there. That's mm. I was surrounded by. Womanist in my cohort, wow, wow. and that, and the matter of fact, all the books that I previously cited just a few minutes ago,
2: mm-hmm.
1: all of those are resources that I bought brat, brought back from Princeton.
0: <laughs> I, I wouldn't have survived, man. They, have, they, have, I'd have probably got beat up. They probably would have beat me up and sent me out, the, out, out packing. Dolores Williams, right? The Womanist Theology. I wrote that as, as you were going through that process. I wrote down Dolores Williams: Womanist theology equals weakness theology, weakness, oh man, man. theology. And, oh. and the reason, the, <laughs> the reason I thought about that was because, I mean, it just, this, again, we, we're appealing to all of this weakness and cowtowing that needs to take place uh, in, in order for people to feel included and apart and, 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 and brought together into this, 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 you know, I don't, I don't even know how to, how to frame it. It's just so ridiculous. I just wrote down womanist theology equals weakness theology. And then with pen. Mm-hmm. I, I I wrote down his book was called Why Lord. Yeah, it's a I, book I, of laments. It's
1: it's okay. a it's it's almost like the book of lamentations in scripture. It is a it is a book full of lamentations over white the the white oppression
0: of black. Oh people. Oh my gosh! I, I wrote Why Lord equals What Lord? What <laughs> Lord? That's what I wrote down. What Lord? I mean, if God is not sovereign. I mean, what, what Lord are you serving? I mean, why even cry out to him? He can't, he can't help. I mean, he he's done nothing to help and can't, I mean, what's, what's the point? Of, what's the point of that? I, I, I'm just, I'm just baffled that, that not only, not only do these people serve a, a weak God, but but the black folks that they're trying to help are even weaker, and and salvation is only going to come through a handful of black intellectuals, right. And and social justicians, you know. Right. I think I think you've landed on something for us to consider, though, and and it's 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 crazy. But I remember hearing Volodya Bakum years ago uh, on on uh, on Dividing Line with Dr. James White, and I went back to look at that particular broadcast. It was February two thousand twelve. And uh, it was where he defined and coined the term ethnic Gnosticism. Uh, yeah and and, they, yep. and there he he defined the idea that blacks have, have claimed to have a kind of a hidden knowledge that most don't really understand our plight our condition our situation uh and if if if, if we we're going to fully experience the salvific work intended by Christ you're going to have to appeal to someone uh black in order to know what you know what's required and what's desired for you to atone for the sins of of, of whiteness mm-hmm. and, and mm-hmm. other things mm-hmm. I, I think i think in, in this context man you've coined another term ethnic arminianism and and I, and I think that people need to kind of write that down make note of it because it is the reality of what we're watching unfold in our current culture with these yep. social justicians
1: mm-hmm. very true very true well, great points as always man now beyond the exposition i gave earlier with regard to the three books that i just cited i just want to expand on that a little bit now my my reasons for reading those passages are these, I'm going to give you three reasons why I cited those passages. passages. I could give others, but I want to give these three, especially the reason I cited those passages. Number one was to give our listeners a sense of the very real interconnectedness between black liberation, theology and critical race theory and formulating the unbiblical and sinful idea of whiteness. Mm. Reason number two, to demonstrate that any so-called, quote-unquote, gospel that inculcates critical race theory and or black liberation theology into its message is a false gospel that proffers a false Christology and a false soteriology, both of which are rooted in sinful ethnic partiality and prejudice. Yes. That's reason number two.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Reason number three. To remind everyone that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. He did not come into the world to save society. Mm-hmm. Paul said in 1 Timothy 1.15a, 1, it is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save Sinners. Conversely, John writes in first John three eight that the one who practices sin is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose to destroy the works of the devil, and all the works of the devil are rooted in sin. Christ came into the world to save. Sinners, He did not come into the world to save society. Ultimately, the liberation of each of us, the liberation that each of us needs, the liberation that each of us is in such dire need of is to be liberated from the bondage of our sin. My favorite Puritan, Thomas Watson, in his book, A Body of Divinity, Said this. He said, Sin has the devil for its father, shame for its companion, and death for its wages. Mm-hmm. Martin Lloyd Jones, the doctor,
2: mm-hmm.
1: in a sermon that he preached entitled Man in Sin, Lloyd Jones said this. He said, You cannot understand life as it is in this world at this moment unless you understand the biblical doctrine of sin. You cannot understand the whole of human history, Lloyd-Jones writes, apart from understanding the doctrine of sin. The world with all its wars and all its quarrels and its conquests, its calamities, and all the rest of it, Lloyd Jones Lloyd-Jones writes, I suggest to you that there is no adequate explanation save in this biblical doctrine of sin. Mm. What the church needs to understand is that the redeemed world that we are waiting for is not this one. That's good. Man, that's good. That's good. I'm going to repeat that because this is what CRTers and BLTers and social justicians don't get. Mm -hmm. What the church needs to understand is that the redeemed world that we are waiting for is not this one. Mm -hmm. It is the one to come. It is the world to come. The apostle Peter makes this abundantly clear in second Peter three 13. Mm -hmm. He says, but according to his promise, we that is believers But according to his promise that is according to christ's promise we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells amen the world of which peter is speaking will not come through human efforts but when christ comes again to make all things new we know this from revelation 21 5 and he who sits on the throne said behold I am making all things new. And he said, right for these words are faithful and true. Jesus said, I am making all things new. It is not Daryl Harrison or Virgil Walker or not even Ekemini Uwan who will make all things new. It will not be Miss Kelly Brown Douglas who makes all things new. Mm -hmm. Jesus Christ is the one who will make all things new so in the final analysis Omaha what proponents of critical race theory and black liberation theology are attempting to do is use the divisive and and sinful language of whiteness to erect walls that Christ already tore down come on man come on man and I'm going to repeat that Mm-hmm. because I feel like making somebody mad right now.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: In the final analysis, what proponents of critical race theory and black liberation theology are attempting to do is to use the divisive and sinful language of whiteness to erect walls that Christ already tore down. Amen. As I read earlier in Galatians 3, verses 26 through 28, I'm going to read it again. Mm-hmm. Paul says, "We are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free man, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. This is exactly what Christ prayed in His high priestly prayer Absolutely. in John seventeen twenty one, okay, yep. that yep. they may all." Be one. Yes. Three times in this text in Galatians 3, Paul uses the word all. Three times. Mm. Listen and hear me out on this, listeners. There is no first or second Rachelonians in the Bible. <laughs> okay? There is no first or second Rachelonians in the Bible. Search as you might, you will not find in the Old or New Testament a book labeled First or Second Mm onions. You're not going to find it. Mm -hmm. Anyone, and I mean anyone, who professes to be a Christian and espouses or endorses critical race theory or black liberation theology as biblical orthodoxy is a liar. That's right. They are preaching what Paul referred to in 2 Corinthians eleven four 4 as a different gospel. That's right. It is not the gospel that Jesus Christ preached. Right. If and when you encounter such teaching, you should run away from it as quickly as possible. Mm-hmm. And I say that on the basis of Titus three ten, where the apostle Paul exhorts believers to reject a factious man after a first and second warning. Knowing that such a man is perverted and is Uh sinning, being self-condemned. That's right. The verb reject in that text is the Greek. The Greek noun there means to avoid them altogether. Run, avoid them altogether, have nothing to do with them. Now, as we begin to close this episode on whiteness, it's unbelievable that we even had to do this episode. Right. But as we begin to close this episode, I want to reiterate what Paul said in Galatians 3, that believers, regardless of ethnicity, are all one in Christ. All of us. Now, to drive home this point, I want to close with three passages from the the, uh, epistle of 1 John. Three passages from 1 John, which would speak both to our common oneness in Christ, as well as the sinfulness of those who would attempt to destroy such oneness. First of all, first John chapter two, verses 10 and 11, first John two, verses 10 and 11, the one who loves his brother abides in the light and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But the one who hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. First John chapter three, verses 14 and 15. We know we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. He who does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. Mm-hmm. And you know, he's John says, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. So just to exposit this text for just a second. So John is saying here that everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. So if you hate your brother, you're a murderer. And John says no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. So if you hate your brother, Miss Kelly Brown Douglas, if that's the case, if there is hate in your heart, and I, I want to emphasize if, because I don't, wanna, I don't want don't anyone listening to this accusing me of saying that right. you called, you said Miss Brown hates white people. How right. do you know her heart? That's not what I'm saying. So for the fourth time now, I'm going to say if. If there is hate in your heart for any person of any other ethnicity other than your own, which by the way, you had nothing to do with, You had nothing to do with your being black. But if there is hate in your heart, you can't even claim to be saved. Mm. According to John 3, 1 John 3, 15, you can't even claim to be born again. Mm -hmm. You're a murderer is what you are. And scripture says no murderer has eternal life by abiding in him. Now, I didn't write that. The Holy Spirit, inspiring the Apostle John, wrote this. Lastly, I want to go to 1 John chapter 4, verse 20. Mm-hmm. 1 John four twenty: If someone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar. Mm. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. You cannot claim to love your brother. I'm sorry, love God. You cannot claim to love God whom you have not seen. And you do not love your brother whom you have seen. Mm. This is
0: the word of God. And I'm gonna leave it right there. I, I, I love as we close, I love what you did as as you made it clear. You're not you're not making a judgment of anyone's heart. You don't know their heart. Uh but but you are saying if if these things are in place they're in violation of the text of scripture that, that we just read. And, and one of the things that, that I recognize is as a part of this, what we're seeing is that you've got p- people making statements that absolutely identify what all of us, if the shoe were on the other foot, would identify as ethnic hatred. Bingo. Uh, as, as we, we really would. There's no way that we would Bingo. allow someone to say blackness is evil. Exactly. And, and and believe them to be devoid of any hatred in their heart for people of of, of, of that ethnicity. There's no way that we would no do way. that. And
1: there's and, a, there's a hypocrisy of this whole whiteness movement. Absolutely. If the shoe were on the other
0: foot, oh we would my call, gosh. We, we would, call, we, would call, we would call we would call balls and strikes straight up. We really would. But 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 even even in our language, we we definitely want to be careful, and we want to we want to be gracious. I think you demonstrated that in what you said as we closed. At the same time, I I I just want to make an appeal, man. If if again, if the shoe were on the other foot, what would we what would we call this? What would we call this? And and I believe that we would correctly identify it as as ethnic hatred, of which needed to be repented of, needed to be. Repent. Would you? Would you agree with that, man? I'll, I'll give you a closing word. Absolutely, okay. brother. I agree with you hundred percent. Okay. Absolutely, you nailed it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you nailed I, it. I just, I just nothing want to put more to add out. to that, man. You nailed it. I, I just want to put that out there man it's been been great walking through this this with you again having to deal with the issue and address it we 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 don't we don't shy away from topics here on on the Just Thinking broadcast man we do what we do and and we we let the chips fall where they may we examine it through the lens of the text of scripture and that's and that's how we get down with that I want to thank you all for for listening to us join us again next week for another edition of the Just Thinking broadcast